Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of the History of Yugoslav Football podcast, Outsiders, part one. Originally, I'd intended to do this and the next episode all as one, but as you'll discover, it went a bit long to the point that it's become a two-parter. Through the timeline of the post-war Yugoslavia until the breakup of the nation come the 1991-92 season, the first league would be won by a team outside of the Big Four on only five or six occasions, depending on how one wants to approach the 86-87 season. Two of these occasions would come straight after each other in the mid-1960s, as the dominance of Partizan's babies will be shattered not by one of their traditional rivals, but by sides outside of the Big Four. Meanwhile, in each of these seasons, Yugoslav sides will go to European finals. Not merely the secondary tournaments, but to the European Cup final and the Fairs Cup final. While the international team was sitting out the 1966 World Cup, the clubs of the nation were flying the flag for Yugoslav football across the continent. So to deal firstly with the home front in the 1965-66 season. It was, of course, a season defined in areas by the punishments meted out as a result of the Planinich affair that we covered two episodes ago. Zelyesnikar had been docked six points, with Hajduk and Trasnevka both docked five. For Tresnevka, this was of little matter. They were relegated by a distance 12 points from safety. That they were docked points merely confirmed that they were doomed that little bit sooner. Hajduk and Zelyesnikar, however, both escaped relegation by the skin of their teeth. Hajduk on goal difference, Zelyesnikar by a point, but more to the point, courtesy of a late uptick in form once Ivica Osim was allowed back on the pitch after his ban. A late winner scored by Osim against Radniki Nish is heralded as the goal that kept the club in the top flight, along with a management change to former Zelio winger Marcel Zigante. In surviving this season, Hajduk finally passed their miserable years and, save for a couple of one-season dips later in the timeline, returned to their big four status from here fairly quickly. Thanks in no small part to the man who top scored in the entire league in this season, the legendary Petar Nerovesa, known as Per Splitsky Pele, or Pete, the Pele from Split. Managing to get themselves relegated also, in spite of having a five or six point advantage on their competitors, were at Nicky Beograd, and this marked the start of 25 years of obscurity for the club. Dropping down into the third tier the following season, only returning to the second tier come the 1990s. Meanwhile, the second league would be impacted by its own match-fixing points deductions. In the East League, which remember comprised the republics of Serbia, Montenegro and Macedonia, Slogar Kraljevo would be relegated thanks to their own four-point deduction for fixing the prior season. Coming up to the first league for the 66-67 season will be our first welcome to the timeline for Šelik Šenica, while Suceska, 
will be promoted on goal difference ahead of Proletheros and Yelin. As much as the big four would not have it their own way in the league, they would also not have it their own way in the cup, as OFK would thrash Dinamo 6-2 in the final to win their last ever piece of major silverware to date, thanks to doubles from Josip Skobla, Slobodan Santrac and Paja Samarjic. Dinamo were the only member of the big four to even make the quarterfinals. But now to the league. And to explain why what happened happened, we have to jump back a couple of years. After their runners-up spot in 1962, Vojvodina almost immediately collapsed, barely escaping relegation the following season. The club responded with a major internal shake-up. Out went former coach Franja Hirman, and in came a new manager in Branko Stankovic, and, most importantly of all, a new technical director in former player and club legend Vujadin Boskov. Boskov would, after Vojvodina, make his name as one of the greatest managers of the late 70s and 80s. The result of all these changes was internal investment, a new training area and a vastly improved scouting network. Stankovic took care of coaching and increasing discipline and professionalism on the pitch, creating a side cast in his own image while allowing for one wild card. In this case, it was striker Sylvester Takac, who moved to run in the middle of the following season. The result of the investment and the changes in coaching was a ruthless and efficient side that swept the league before them, winning the league by an incredible eight points from Dinamo and winning the title at home against the Partizan side which was resting many of their first-choice players. A match they would follow with a celebratory friendly against the USSR national team, as they wound up to the 1966 World Cup. After Dinamo, Velez would follow in third, with Fiesta fifth and Partizan in a near-unthinkable 11th. But, as indicated... Partizan had a distraction of their own to be getting on with, so before we get to their exploits in the European Cup, we'll quickly go through what happened in the other competitions. In the Cup Winners' Cup, Dinamo would be handed the worst imaginable draw, as Atletico Madrid, a team who had been second in La Liga the season prior, and would win it in 65-66. Atletico demolished Dinamo 5-0 on aggregate in a chastening experience. In the Fairs Cup, Svenazuesta would end up with a similarly horrible draw straight off the bat, losing 7-1 on aggregate to the ever-competitive Fiorentina. However, the other Zagreb side in Europe, NK, at least did fare better. In the first round, they overcame RFC Liège, a club that would later become infamous for being the bad guys that caused the Bosman ruling, 2-1 before falling to Stegel Rosu Brasov in the second round, in spite of the efforts of Mladen Vlacha, who would be associated with the club for almost his entire life. And so, to Partizan. If you were in the business of putting together the most difficult possible run of draws in the European Cup, you probably want to throw in the champions of nations like Germany, France, and England. You'd want to make sure that at no point 
is there around that's a bit of a gimme? And if ever a team didn't get a handout in a competition, it was Partizan in this edition of the European Cup. They began with French champions Nantes. The Breton side were in the midst of winning two successive titles, the second, which was won far more handily than the first, and the following season they would go deep into the competition. On this occasion, Galic and Hasnagic scored each side of half-time in Belgrade to send Partizan to France carrying a 2-0 advantage. While Francis Magny put Nantes in the lead in Brittany, Galic and Vladicekovicevic would take advantage of Nantes falling asleep either side of half-time again to put Partizan firmly in command. Bernard Blanchet would score a consolation, but Partizan dispatched the champions of France 4-2. Meeting them in the next round will be German champions Werther Bremen. Bremen were one of the preeminent clubs in the nation prior to the formation of the Bundesliga and earned their spot in this edition of the European Cup, having won the second ever Bundesliga with a solid, if unspectacular, campaign. The solidity of the German side lasted 70 minutes in the harsh light of Belgrade in the first leg, before Partizan put three late goals past them from Yusufi, Hasnagic and Pirmeier to kill the tie before going to Germany. Werder Bremen would win the second leg 1-0, but it was for nothing. Next up for Partizan will be Sparta Prague, and one of the wildest two-legged ties of the decade. The mid to late 1960s were the golden era of Sparta Prague under manager Vlakov Jezek, and they had reached the quarterfinals with ease after four goal wins over Gornik Zabresi and Lausanne. They benefited from having the home leg first and were favourites to qualify past a Partizan side which was coming in cold from the winter break. After Sparta duly obliged and hammered Partizan 4-1 in Prague, courtesy of a hat-trick from Andrzej Schwarznak, it seemed like a foregone conclusion. Instead, a week later at the JNA, the truly extraordinary happened. Partizan applied pressure immediately, and Vladic Kovacevic scored on the turn after only four minutes to reduce the deficit. Velibor Vasovic would clip home from an angle 20 minutes later, and the pressure didn't stop. Kovacevic would have the tie levelled before the half-hour mark with a tap-in, before Hasnagic would finish the tie-off with first a lob from close range, and then a wonderful volley on 71 minutes to end it. Partizan had just thrashed one of Europe's best 5-0 in Belgrade to advance to the semi-finals, to face none other the Manchester United, English champions, and the team returning to Belgrade for the first time since the Munich air disaster. The home leg was first, and with Sviesta having had the Avala out of commission the last time United were in the city, this was not just United's return to Belgrade, it was a return to the JNA, the site of the last ever game of the Busby Babes. The result would be what Matt Busby himself would describe as the lowest ebb since Munich. If Munich shattered Busby's club, Partizan would shatter Busby's soul. 
United, much like Sparta, entered the tie as big favourites. In the quarterfinals, they demolished Benfica the previous year's runners-up, 5-1 in Lisbon, in what would perhaps be the peak performance of the entire Busby years, and with what had been one of the true star-making performances of George Best. Between the quarterfinal and the game in Belgrade, however, Best had suffered an injury, and while he would play in Belgrade, his mobility was substantially lower than usual. Partizan began the game by paying the opposition too much respect, while United began the game on top, yet with little in the way of sip to their play. A stalemate between a side nervous of their opposition and a side nervous of the weight of history upon them ensued. The game went in at half-time at 0-0, and manager Abdullah Gegic soon made clear to his partisan side that this was a Manchester United team that were there for the taking, rather than one who were going to deliver on United's own lofty pre-match aspirations. Within a minute of the second half beginning, partisan were in front. Yusufi crossing into the box and Hasnagic nodding in from 10 yards out. 13 minutes later, it was 2-0 as United clearance was clipped back over the centre of defence for Besiac to score sort of style finish home. Partizan would go on to have a late goal disallowed, but had delivered a lesson to Manchester United, the exact lesson that United had been expected to deliver to Partizan. Best and Law had run out of energy, and Vasovic had run the show. Partizan came to defend and then, when they realised United were not on their day, had ruthlessly exploited and outclassed them. United had carried the weight of history upon them and found that it had broken their backs. Even with a leg to go at Old Trafford, Partizan had possibly done enough to beat down United's spirit and pave the road to the final. In Manchester, United's frustration would be all too clear. Partizan will play dirty in order to stop the hosts, fouling at every opportunity. Pat Crarand and Boromir Lutinovic will be sent off for fighting each other, with the two carrying it on off the pitch and being pulled apart by police. Nobby Styles would score with 18 minutes to go, deceiving everyone with a near post cross that snuck past Soskic. And while United would press and put effort in, in truth they would never look likely to draw level with Partizan. After the game, Busby would consider retirement, but eventually decided against it, as he took the lessons of Belgrade with him on the way to United's eventual European Cup redemption in 1968. Partizan, meanwhile, would take themselves to a more immediate European Cup final. The previous time that Heysel Stadium had hosted the European Cup final, Manchester United would beaten semi-finalists in the shadow of Munich. This time, they wouldn't reach there after being in the shadow of Partizan. On that previous occasion, the winners had, of course, been Real Madrid. And it was Real who Partizan would face again on the 11th of May, 1966. While Partizan had had the most difficult path imaginable, Real had had a reasonably peaceful road to the semis, past Feyenoord, Kilmarnock and Anderlecht, 
before facing off with Legrande Inter. Real passed that test 2-1, scoring the opener in both legs to prevent Inter from ever getting on top of them. It would be their 8th European Cup final in the competition's short existence. For many partisan players, it would be the last major game they would ever play for the club. After this, Milton Soskic would leave for Kern, Farudin Yusufi for Eintracht Frankfurt, Radoslav Besiak would soon after go to Olympia for 65 million Yugoslav dollars, a fee that would be seen as so over the top that the nation would have a transfer cap of $12.5 million brought in. Velibor Vasovic would go to Captain Ajax to their first European Cup win. Vladica Kovacevic would go to Nantes and Milan Galic to Standard Liège. Over half of Partizan's starting lineup in this European Cup final will be playing elsewhere within 12 months of the game, with manager Abdullah Gegic leaving also as well. This was the last game of the babies, and the denouement of over half a decade of domestic dominance. I will take that fight against Real's search for La Sexta. It would be Partizan who would have the first major chance, seeing a shot from an indirect free kick deflect just the wrong side of the post, and a shot from the edge of the box drift just wide in the first half. Ten minutes into the second half, Velibor Vasovic would fling himself at a corner headed back across the box and power a header into the top corner to put Partizan ahead. Fifteen minutes later, Amaro would equalise, running onto the ball and slotting it low past Soskic, before Fernando Selena would hammer the ball home with a spectacular goal from the edge of the box in 76 minutes. Partizan had had plenty of the game in the first half and hit Real with a sucker punch in the second half, but unlike Manchester United, Real had had the mental strength to cope with the setback and the inspiration to deliver the club a sixth European Cup. Next time on the History of Yugoslav Football Podcast. With the babies split up and Vojvodina champions, who would be the second outsider to break the big four? And just how would Vojvodina do when their opponents weren't babies? Rather, they were lions. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next time.